Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you sometimes think my side is right and those who disagree with me are not only wrong, but evil or even stupid? I have. And... That's a mistake. Well, you know, Richard, in my case, it's complicated because I am generally right. So, and, and I'm sure you, <laughs> I'm sure you agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you concur in that opinion. But you know, a, such a big theme of our podcast is how to get past that kind of thinking, and how to look for solutions to make ourselves more open-minded, even when we desperately don't want to be. Five Ways to Reduce Polarization All by Yourself. Our guest is Kami Akavan. This comes from many directions, and we may feel powerless to do something about this, but the power really is on our hands. And that's part of my message is saying, folks, it doesn't have to feel this bad. It doesn't have to be this bad. You'll realize the solution is, is us. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? On some of the biggest issues of the day, climate change, how we hold elections, political gridlock, it's so easy to retreat into our opinion silos and also say there's nothing we can do. So I'm going to poke my head out of my opinion silo for a second and say, let's look for some practical ways to hear others and understand how they see the world. That's the first step that's needed to reduce mistrust and fight back at the kind of gridlock that we seem to be facing right now. Our guest is Kami Akavan, director of the Center for the Political Future at the University of Southern California. He's a former CEO of the nonpartisan group Procon.org and an expert on political polarization. Kami joins us from sunny Los Angeles. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Well, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me today. So let's start with this pandemic that just doesn't seem to want to end. Is that partly responsible for making us more more isolated, more more grumpy and distrustful? Yes. The pandemic divides us further. Humans, we need lots of social interaction. We are a social species. We were not meant to be locked in our homes quarantining. The 
pandemic has absolutely further divided us, not just because we are in isolation from one another and that is against our human psychology, but because of this broader context of political polarization in America today, we are seething in our little bubbles. We are at home listening to the side that we trust, whether it's Trump and DeSantis and, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and they're telling us uh, the quarantine restrictions need to be lifted. Uh, we need to have life carry on as normal. And the other side is saying, this pandemic is too dangerous. Everybody needs to get vaxxed, right? We're staying at home. And when we see people who are acting the different way, the side that we don't agree with, we get really mad and feel like they are not just threatening or have a different opinion than us, but they're threatening our very existence. We could die because of how these people are behaving. They are harming folks like, uh, like you and me. We had a recent Example of that, in Senate hearings, a bitter clash between Dr. Anthony Fauci and Republican Senator Rand Paul, who went at it. Fauci said he'd received death threats while working to end the pandemic because of Rand Paul's false claims. And then Senator Paul called Fauci a menace and said he must be fired. Is that kind of thing unprecedented? Or have we had other harsh examples of this in the past? Oh, harsh examples of being rude to each other have existed since humans have existed. There is no question that that sort of aggravated uh, verbal assault is not unique to our present day situation. Not at all. But what is different about it is this mentality of it's not I'm right and you're wrong. It's I'm right and you're evil. And if you're evil, we can do anything to try to stop and prevent you. Richard and I were talking earlier about some other historical periods of this kind of division. And a lot of people forget that in the early 70s, in that Vietnam uh, era of, of political polarization, there were actually people out there setting off bombs and, and really advocating and, and carrying out actual physical harm against their political opponents. Is this something that goes in waves or is this something that's just getting worse? That certainly happened in the 1960s and the 1970s. What's different about today is we had a shared set of facts in the 1960s. We can say Vietnam War is happening. And you might think, well, it's happening and that's good or it's happening and that's bad. Uh, we should have a bigger role, a lesser role. We agreed that on basic facts. Today, we don't just have three broadcast networks to tell us what the same set of facts are. We have thousands and thousands of different sources of media information telling us different sets of facts. So we can't even agree on the premise of our discussion uh, because we're drawing from such different sources. And that further polarizes because we can't even have a conversation anymore. Uh, the, the way that our technology has polarized us further is making it far more difficult and far more dangerous, in my opinion, than we were in the 60s and 70s. And on top of that, the public square is shrinking and we're, we're less likely to spend time with people not like us in activities such as going to church or uh, taking part in an organized group activity, right? 100%. And we talked about how humans are meant to be together. 
in unions and churches are at all time lows for participation. But so are things like going to the mall. Now you can sit at home, order from Amazon, get Uber Eats or DoorDash, come to your house. You don't have to go to a restaurant. Our opportunity to see, interact, be friends with, just get used to uh, folks who are different from us, that capacity has diminished significantly. And that is also part of what drives up polarization. And we see this play out in politics on issues like uh, electoral reform. It seems as if people have a different definition of reality. We want to be with our in-group. Our brain doesn't want to be challenged. We want to think we're right. And when someone says, no, that's not how to think about it, you're wrong. We just want to reject that immediately. This comes from many directions, and we may feel powerless to do something about this, but the power really is in our hands. And that's part of my message is saying, folks, it doesn't have to feel this bad. It doesn't have to be this bad. You'll realize the solution is is us. Uh, And I appreciate what your show is doing, how we can fix it, because we men, we want to fix stuff uh, and we want to get straight to those solutions. But we don't need to get there yet, because I think first you got to understand how bad is this problem really? There needs to be a motivation to want to fix it. One thing that strikes me watching television and and listening to our elected officials, they don't seem to understand the arguments of the other side. It's not just that they're putting forward different arguments. They haven't even been exposed to these arguments. There's a lot of reasons for that, Richard, and I agree with you that the sides don't even understand each other and they don't want to understand each other more, more significantly. When you or me or Jim, we have a disagreement with a loved one, we listen to their arguments and we'll do it out of love because we respect the other person and we want the relationship to be good. In today's political climate, we do not respect the other side. We don't care what they have to say. We know that their ideology represents a threat to us. So our immediate action just goes to defense. It is stop that side. And That's not the basis for a conversation or compromise. So often when there's a problem, there's this tendency to think, okay, how do we fix this as a nation? How or what's the, maybe there's laws or regulations we need or or something. But one thing in your work that I really like is you really stress that even individuals can do a lot to start changing this story. And you have a list of five things that each person can do. It starts with listen. Before I took my current role at the University of Southern California, I used to run an organization called Procon.org. And it was one of the most visited websites in the country on controversial issues. You name it, the controversies were there. People were coming to learn one side or the other. It turned out that people were coming to learn their side. They would come to that site and they would see their arguments laid out better than they could ever say them. Sources better than they could find, using language and words better than they could express it. They're like, that's exactly how I feel, times 100. But staring at them on the page on the other side was these opposing arguments that perhaps for the first time that person was exposed to an argument that wasn't a ridiculous caricature, straw man version of the argument. It was a real tough argument to reckon with that, oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way. They'd never been exposed. And they would see another argument like that and another another more supporting evidence. And they thought, you know what? Maybe I'm not thinking about this right. 
when we surveyed our audience and asked, how many of you changed your mind on an issue based on what you read? We got to 40% of people who changed their mind on an issue based on what they read. You cannot do that with a weapon, and we're doing it with words. The reason why, to your question, is because people felt heard. They were listened to. That listening part had to take place first so the defense could come down. Then they thought, okay, now they get me. They understand me. Let me see what else is on the docket here on the agenda. And then you could listen and, and read other arguments. So that's number one, listen. Number two is commit. Well, that's right. If you don't have the will or the purpose to want to be part of the solution, then forget it. It's too hard. These conversations go sideways. They get uncomfortable, unpleasant. You don't want to disagree with your family, with your coworkers. You're like, forget it. We just won't talk about these issues. You have to want to talk about it. And that takes a lot of willpower. In discussing the importance of listening, you mentioned that a lot of us have an idea of the counter arguments to our ideas are really often based on a kind of a straw man, something that we get, we hear from inside our bubble from other people who also oppose this idea. And I find this a lot with my friends when I talk about ideas that might be associated more with, with a conservative way of thinking they've only heard the caricature of those ideas. Your third point is seek opposing views. H how do we do that? Well, seek opposing views, it's not easy to do. It is harder to be a citizen today than it was 30 years ago. I think it takes more effort on our part for a lot of reasons. One is because there's thousands of sources of information. So we tend to self-select and we find the narrow bands of information that we already agree with. You need to broaden your media diet. You need to seek out disconfirming information, things that don't make you feel good, things that make you think, huh, the point is to seek out disconfirming information because unless you're exposed to it and can reckon with it and can say, that's a great point or that's a stupid point, we just have to tangle with them. We make our opinions stronger by putting them in this type of a gym. But the point is, you can respectfully disagree with opinions. You just have to be exposed to them so your own opinion can be stronger. That sounds a little bit like the mental equivalent of eating your broccoli or doing 40 push-ups. Is, is there a fun way to, to seek opposing opinions? Or can this be enjoyable as well as something that's hard to endure? I love that question. The answer is yes. And to me, it depends on your perspective and your attitude. I'm holding up an iPhone 12. I don't have an iPhone 3 anymore or a 5 or an 8 or a 10 anymore. I keep upgrading. I think opinions can be like that too. When it's time for you to bring in new information and upgrade, do it. And it can be fun. That's the reward. That's the mentality, I think, that can drive us further into the it feels good to have disconfirming information because we're curious. And bottom line for me, that word curious can drive so much of depolarization efforts. Point is you're listening to understand, not listening to judge. And that's what curiosity drives. And when you satisfy your curiosity, that feels great. So another technique that you recommend to help overcome this tendency, which I think is really deep in our in our psyches, is to interpret generously. What do you mean by interpret generously? Well, I'll give you an example of that. 
So someone, I thought, cut me off in traffic. I was really mad about it. I've tailgated, followed them for a while. Uh, they ended up in my own uh, neighborhood, and I realized, oh, my gosh, that person is my dentist. And here I am driving like a jerk behind them, so mad. And then I thought, oh, it's my dentist. Oh, that's fine. He didn't mean anything by that. He probably just forgot to use a signal, whatever. And then at that point, the rationalization was easy. He's not a bad guy, uh, but I was furious. And then the few, then I was mad at myself thinking, I need to be more generous in interpreting. And when I use that mentality, and when other people have used that same mentality, being generous in interpreting attention, they realize that the person who said the thing that might have been offensive, they didn't mean it that way. We just heard it that way. We were triggered. There's something within us that is responding and reacting to what they said. So how do I control that a little better? And if they were being offensive, then I can be generous in interpreting and saying, did you mean it that way? Ask clarifying questions. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're speaking with Kami Akavan and more solutions coming up. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Kami, we've got to number five the f of the five ways that you can take personal action. And this one is something... I didn't understand. Superordinate. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll tell you. So within the space of bringing people together, overcoming division, uh, one of the great organizations is called Braver Angels. And one of their techniques and strategies, they say, don't pursue common ground in your conversations with opposing ideologies. Don't do it. And the reason that they say that is because uh, we lose sight of each other as human beings when we're trying to find that needle in the haystack. Uh, and the concept of superordination is a simple one. It's saying, we're not gonna go find common ground, we're gonna recognize that it's already here underneath us. And that's the whole thing with superordination. You can do it within a company, you can do it within your city, you can do it within, uh, within politics. Uh, and, and that's what I'm encouraging people to do is you realize that, you know what? Not only are we all humans, but we all share so much alike, much more than our politics would lead us to believe. And we need to remember that before we lose our minds over the one thing that we disagree on. So Kami, how did you get so involved in this field? Were you the peacemaker in your family growing up or what was your background that got you 
excited about bringing people together like this? Uh, appreciate the question, Jim. So I was born in the backseat of a taxi cab in Tehran, Iran. My dad had to bite through the umbilical cord, which is gross, but true. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then I moved to uh, South Louisiana. So I was a, a Kami Akavan surrounded by Sacheries and Thibodeaux and Cormiers and Dores. Uh, and and I lived in about 25 different homes by the time I was 20 years old, constantly just naturally building bridges. I ended up moving to Los Angeles in high school, surrounded by my community, Kansakus, Toyas, Kiriyamas, a lot of Japanese, uh, and also uh, Hispanic names, Gonzalez and Lopez. So constantly, personally a bridge builder and being innately curious about uh, other cultures and other people. I was also the debater in high school. The debaters have a real appreciation for being able to step in someone else's skin and argue that perspective, whether they agree with it or not, they're good at formulating arguments. And so I had that capacity within me. And I tell you, when my family moved in the 1979, moved back to Iran after the uh, Shah was deposed, wanted to rebuild the country, left America and realized soon after a few months when the Iran-Iraq war started, the Ayatollah came back and took power and all the revolutionaries were being executed and there's a war going on and things were awful. We said, we got to get the hell out of here. We couldn't come back to the U.S. They weren't allowed to. So we moved to Turkey, smuggled ourselves into Turkey as refugees to try to come back to the U.S. and it didn't work. Moved to Bulgaria tried to get back in the U.S. via the U.S. Embassy there, didn't work. Moved to France, tried to get back in the U.S. Embassy, didn't work. And how old were you when this was going on? Seven, eight years old. And then we decided, look, we can't come back to the U.S. as much as we would love to, and we can't go back to Iran because it's war-torn, terrible place. Uh, so we, I guess we're going to move to Turkey. And we moved to Turkey, and within another couple months, we tried again to get back to the U.S., and this time it worked. And this to me is the promise of America. One man decided I'm going to spend money to hire an immigration attorney to help this good family get back to the United States. It was my father's employer, Mr. Jack Tolson. Every year around Christmas, if I hear my dad crying on the phone, it's because he's talking to Jack Tolson to say thank you. People who are immigrants to this country, I think, have a real debt to the, to the United States and its promise. We feel like we have to contribute towards keeping it great because when America shines its light on the world, it illuminates that hope. Uh, and that hope is a, such a powerful beacon for human beings to be better. This is a special experiment in democracy. We don't want it to fail. I don't want it to fail. That's a wonderful answer. And it echoes much of what I keep hearing from immigrants, and especially recent immigrants to this country, who feel very grateful to be here. And I think that can be lost. I think, Richard, you're, you're so right. Uh, immigrants bring a lot of value to this nation, and all of us are descendants of immigrants. 100% of this country's population, unless you're Native American, is a descendant of immigrants. So we get it. This is how our country was supposed to work. What's hard to fix are these systemic problems. And what I mean by that is things like partisan gerrymandering, right? Low participation in primary elections. I'm talking about things like the huge influence of money in politics, where my local race might be decided by the hundreds of millions of dollars coming in from not even my state, uh, right? So 
these kinds of factors are awfully hard to fight against. And in that sense, you could say, well, the system is rigged. And to those people who feel the system is rigged, you're, you're right. I mean, it is rigged. And that's, again, part of what makes it difficult for us to be effective citizens in today's era. And you say we should vote in primary elections, the ones that are run by political parties to choose their nominees. Why are these elections often more important than what goes on in November? Right now, we have about 10 to 15 percent of people who are voting in primary elections. And that's really where the winners of our general elections are found and discovered. So parties today, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they're putting little effort into their general election races. They're putting significant effort into their uh, party primary races because that's who's going to win the general. We know with about a 90% certainty across our electoral districts, if it's going to be the D or the R that's going to win. So if you vote in the primaries, you have a disproportionate impact on who gets selected. The really motivated, more partisan voters show up in the primaries, whereas the rest of us who are in the middle, we're like, ah, we end up in a general election and think, Jesus, this is as good as we can do. These two extreme, awful candidates, what happened to the middle? Well, the middle didn't show up to vote in the primary. So that's what you got to do. One of the factors that pushes this kind of tendency of both parties to lurch towards their most extreme or partisan members then elect those kinds of candidates is the tendency to to vilify the other side and and make people feel like we have to go extreme because otherwise we'll get rolled over by by our opponents. What can people do on an individual level not to succumb to that kind of maximalist demonization of their opponents? Bottom line is ex meaningful exposure uh, to other sides. And so by that, I mean, if you are surrounded by liberal friends, then seek out some conservative friends. Read conservative publications, like conservative things on social media so you can be exposed to more of it. And then it won't seem like a caricature. We won't be rocked whenever we are exposed to their arguments. And same on the other side. If you come home and you turn on MSNBC so you can be comforted by Rachel Maddow, well, try reading the National Review. Try watching a little bit of Fox News. Try listening to some conservative thinkers who are not the firebrands, you know, thoughtful, interesting, intellectually honest conservatives. With that challenging suggestion, thank you very much, Kami Akhavan, on How Do We Fix It. Thanks for joining us. It is a great pleasure, guys. How Do We Fix It is a big and tough question. So appreciate all of your insights into how we're going to get there. And I'm going to listen to your shows for lots more advice than my own. Well, well, thanks for being here with us. And thanks for the work you're doing. Kami Akhavan, next, our recommendation. So, Jim, you have this week's recommendation. And again, it's science fiction. What's what's happening? You know, I read a lot of science fiction when I was young and then kind of stepped away from it for, for a long time. And this was a gift from one of my kids over the holidays. And I've since learned that this book is a real sensation. It's called Far From the Light of Heaven. And the author is named Tade Thompson. He's actually a psychiatrist in Britain, but uh, raised partly in Nigeria. So this is a science fiction book about a, a future world 
in which AI kind of runs amok. So that's highly relevant to the how do we fix it audience because it's something we've talked about a lot. But he brings this really neat perspective of what he calls Afrofuturism and is particularly a kind of Nigerian cultural sensibility to, um, to this future world he constructs. Even people who aren't regular science fiction readers might get a kick out of it. Richard, I think the most powerful part of this for me was hearing Kami's amazing background and his perspective as an immigrant who has really naturally appreciates so much of what's best about our country. And I feel that has been lost in a lot of our political dialogue. We're focusing on what's wrong. A lot of people have this kind of idea that things used to be so much better. And I think it's really important to hear from people who say, no, we have something really good here. Let's fight for it. Let's hang on to it. Let's make it better. I'm in Miami right now. And whenever I jump into a cab, which is something I've been doing quite a bit because I don't have a car down here, I nearly always hear from drivers who are immigrants and very often recent immigrants to this country. And as soon as you really start having a conversation with them, one of the things that pops right out is how grateful they are to be here and how much they like this country. The one thing that I think is is a particularly key takeaway for all of us is this idea of understanding the arguments of people you disagree with. Maybe their understanding their argument will help you strengthen your own argument. But if you dismiss what they think just because you know they all those people think alike and they're all horrible, then you're really not not only not doing them the honor of treating them as an individual, but you're also undermining your own ability to understand the world. You're really good at this because you're a conservative surrounded by liberals. And so you really do, I think, much more than most people, Jim, understand the viewpoints of people you disagree with. Because it's everybody I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, and and that, that's helped me. In, in our conversations, because as you know, I don't always agree with you, but I think I do have a better idea of how conservatives think now than, than I used to. And, and one thing that he mentioned that I just couldn't stress enough, if you're more on the, even a centrist these days, to be honest, so are, you know, more on the conservative side of the spectrum, then you're, you always know what the liberal progressive viewpoint is because it's 90% of what you see, even if you turn on Saturday Night Live. So you, you understand that pretty well. They don't understand you very well. So the one thing I would recommend to everybody, but especially people who are more in that kind of American elite bubble of, of a liberal progressive worldview is don't rely on the caricature of what the other side thinks to shape your view. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits, especially in the bridging space. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.